Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. I'm curious to know, what do people think about this news coming out of Russia and, and how, um, you know, can we trust it? What's this news? I've missed it. Just, yeah, what news, lot, the last, In the last two weeks, there's been a lot of news about uh, Russian banks um, allowing people to um, trade in and allowing international payments in Bitcoin. There's just a lot of stuff going on with the Russian banks right now in Bitcoin. Nah, I wouldn't trust it personally. Sam, what you got, dude? Yo, what's up? Just uh, just getting in here. Just talking about Russian banks. Yeah, I was just wondering how much we could trust that. There's been a lot of news, it seems like, coming out of the last two weeks, coming out about Russian banks and Bitcoin. And I was just wondering how much we can trust that. This is news to me. I don't even know what you're talking about, Peter. To be honest. <laughs> right? At the very what are you confirmed. At the Peter's very most, I would I would think that like if if this is getting pushed out, I would honestly think it would be more of a some sort of intelligence op to try and weaken support for the US dollar. Like that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yeah, Peter, you can trust a Russian bank as far as you can throw its vault. Um right. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't heard anything either. So this is news to me as well. So I'm curious to hear more of what you know. I'm just I'm just reading it off of the off of the internet. So I haven't really said anything because I don't know how much we can trust what's coming out of Give Russia. Give us but... the source, Peter. Well, okay, so so uh Serbabank. Um, no, no, no. Who published it? Like where are you reading this? Bitcoinist and Coin Telegraph. Yeah. Oh. Gotcha. Not the best source. Not the best source. But I haven't really heard about any of this, Peter. But I will say, I read this one book called Red Notice, the true story of high finance murder uh, in Russia by Bill Broder, who was a hedge fund manager who worked in Russia um, after the fall of the Soviet Union made a bunch of killing. I would suggest everyone read that book. It gets you it gets really deep into the shenanigans that occurs in uh, the Russian financial system and what that guy had to go through. Um, it just kind of shows all the corruption that's involved there. So check out that book, Red Notice. Very very good book. Very entertaining. Book. So I will be the uh, that's kind of a side I will note. be the contrarian here. So Bill Broder basically took full advantage of Russia's collapse in 1991 and was basically uh, pillaging the country for years until uh, Putin did something about it. So you're getting Bill Broder's take, but on the flip side, 
uh, Bill Broder is a pretty evil person himself. And he was actually the lead advisor uh, to sanction Russia after the invasion of Ukraine. Like he's the one that pushed for these crazy sanctions uh, against Russia. And uh, as revenge, basically, he was like the lead U.S. economic advisor for that policy. And that's the policy that's like destroying the West right now as well. So I am uh, not a fan of Bill Broder at all. Like I actually hate that guy. This is fascinating. That is a that is a fair take, actually, Tom. That's a very fair take. I think he has a personal vendetta. Oh, he does. Yeah, yeah, he he does. Sat yeah. Jail and then his buddy was murdered. His buddy was murdered, and um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's a totally fair point. I mean, he, he was a he was a capitalist who saw an opportunity, and he benefited from all that happened um, in Russia in the 1990s. And, you know, he's a hedge fund manager who took advantage of Yeah, I actually, extremely I, I actually have a video from like yeah. a year ago where he was like a head speaker at a conference. I was also a speaker at, and he was doing like a small fireside chat at a restaurant. as like one like the, uh, like an after party thing. And then there was a Q and a part and it was me and one other guy. And we just like, like ripped him apart with comments because he was, uh, I think it had to do with China, even not even Russia. Uh, but basically, he was like saying how evil China is and giving economic aid to all these countries in order to just take over the countries. I'm like, yeah, but like IMF did this eight times worse. So uh, I don't know. He's a com- uh, I really don't like that guy. He's like one of my uh, one of the people I don't like the most when it comes to like finance that somehow has authority. Yeah, and he. um he actually benefited from the IMF and World Bank policies that led to the Imagine destruction of Russia that. in the fall of Soviet Union. You know, like people don't understand when that fell, like what happened, it, what they called like shock therapy, um, where they introduced these economic policies, the World Bank and IMF to, the, to Russia, but they did it overnight. So they cut food subsidies, um, you know, they jacked interest rates. Um, they did all these things literally overnight. And basically siphoned all of the assets and resources into the oligarchs. So the, the oligarchs were basically created by the IMF and World Bank. And then Bill Broder um, took advantage of that, that whole situation. So, I mean, he could be critical of China, what they're doing, but he directly benefited from similar policies pushed by the World Bank and IMF. So I hear that, Tone. Totally hear that. It's a fascinating story, though. It is an entertaining book, too, but it, yeah, I guess you do have to be cognizant of the fact that it's written by Bill Broder, so it's going to be a biased uh, perspective, but well-written. Um, hey, Tush, I, I got another question things. about Russia to ask you. Um, you know, you were talking yesterday that you were like, well, I don't really understand why the why the Bitcoin price has done what it's done. Um, we, I think we're pretty sure that Russia has a pretty sizable amount of uh, hashing power now. Do you think that maybe some of this sell pressure is coming, you know, them constantly selling to finance uh, war in Ukraine? Oh, very unlikely. Look, uh, it's uh, it's like Greg Foss says, Bitcoin's market cap is still pretty much irrelevant. Bitcoin's uh, overall liquidity is pretty much irrelevant when it comes to, you know, top 10, 20, maybe even top 30 country scales. Uh, like it's relevant for maybe El Salvador, but not much bigger than that. So no, Russia can sell more oil in a day than they can squeeze out of Bitcoin and their mining operation uh, in a month. Uh, I just uh, I just don't see uh, how it's that relevant yet. Uh, though on MySpaces the other day, it was interesting to learn 
uh, American Hodel came in and uh, Bernoulli came in and they were telling me how this uh, big mining operation in Russia got taken over by the Russian government the moment the war broke out. Uh, so I'm really fascinated to learn more about that because somehow that missed my radar as well last year. Uh, so I'm curious uh, whatever happened with that. I don't know if they know, uh, but uh, if the Russian government did take over that mine, did they just hand it to uh, a favorite Russian citizen to run it? Or is the government really running it and wreaking the benefits of that mine Bitcoin? Uh, and if they are wreaking the benefits of that mine Bitcoin, I think they... Uh, I mean, look, in order to immediately uh, confiscate a big Bitcoin mining operation in Russia, uh, as I mean, it could have been part of, hey, we don't want Americans running big companies. And two, they, they said this was strategically important for the country. Uh, if it's strategically important for the country, they're holding on to the Bitcoin. It makes no sense uh, to sell and make an extra few million dollars because that actually is it's, it's irrelevant money for a country that big. So if they knew uh, if they knew enough information about Bitcoin to take over this mine uh, and make it government owned, they know enough about Bitcoin that they shouldn't be selling it. I would, I would, um, Peter, as far as I can answer that question, uh, three days ago, I just tweeted it out and put it up in the nest. So it should be appearing shortly. There was an article by Coindesk that came out that was about $170 million worth of Bitcoin from miners had been funneled towards exchanges three days ago. So I would, um, I would think if there's any sort of trying to triangulate selling pressure, I would think that some of that would be that. Especially if they're doing think, it in uh, a large order. Yeah. The Russia, I mean, obviously, like Tony was saying, I mean, it's so small, but also why would Russia sell an asset that's a neutral reserve asset after they were directly impacted by the sanctions? You know, they understand the risk of confiscation and the sanctions risk that exists, uh, given what happened when, when their treasuries were seized at the Fed. So, you know, why would they sell that Bitcoin being a neutral reserve asset um, that protects them against that risk? Um, and then there's a lot of reports coming out of Russia. I mean, like I was talking to an ASIC manufacturer, a guy who works in sales there, and he did say, you know, they're seeing an uptick of sales uh, coming out of Russia. Uh, I talked to him in Miami because there's a bunch of rumors around that. And then you do have hash rate just just spiking uh, this year. I mean, it's uh, close to all-time highs right now. So I was asking uh, Patty Trumpeter, who's a CEO of 3D Sphere 3D, which is a public miner, you know, where does she think this hash rate's going? There's a lot of theories around it, but you can't really rule out um, a nation state starting to to mine more. Um, it's certainly a possibility. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts around that. Well, between nation states and energy producers, I think that there is enough argument just between those two groups to there could be selling pressure. But yeah, I like. And then this is the other thing, too, is trying to pontificate and speculate on where this activity is coming from. Like, there's still the activity that, like, Tone, I'm sure, is very cognizant and aware of as far as, like, thin order books and just people that are gaming the system. Like, trying to pin down just one source is probably a bit of a fool's errand. Yeah. Tone, I'd love to just get your opinion on uh, the state of the market right now. Um Maybe maybe we can focus a little bit on the price action, considering that's kind of your specialty. How, how are you looking at things right now, man? Was that a question for me? It, it, 
I wanted to hear your thoughts, man, selfishly. I, I would love to hear your thoughts around uh, the state of the market, what you're seeing in the price action. What are your thoughts for maybe the short, medium term? Yeah, he was really confused by the big drop. Uh, well, yesterday we rallied a smidge, uh, but uh, I was really confused by the big drop two days ago, like Wednesday night, considering the stock market is rallying like, like there's no tomorrow. And uh, I saw a tweet this morning, like Goldman Sachs did a poll of uh, a bunch of money managers. And like, I think like five or 10% of them are bullish and the majority is like super bearish. And I'm like, wow, these people are just crazy. Uh, and the stock market is rallying. Bitcoin has been dropping. The, this inverse relationship has been happening since early May. I don't really understand it. That's like not normal. That's not how it normally happens. And uh, I couldn't explain that $1,000 drop uh, some people are speculating that it's Binance and CZ uh, trying to defend their Binance coin. And uh, that makes no sense to me either. Uh, we've seen the strategy of selling Bitcoin and defending your company and your token fail each and every time. It has never succeeded once. Like, why in the world would uh, CZ uh, sell Bitcoin in order to defend the Binance token? If I was CZ, I would be selling all the Binance token I can uh, trying to accumulate as much Bitcoin as I can off the books in case he's got to run and hide. But uh, that strategy makes way more sense to me personally. But I guess these guys have a ego or the size of Donald Trump, maybe. I don't know. But uh, so I, I can't really explain what is happening. I can just look at the TA picture. And while the TA picture is sitting at very, very critical support, uh, right at 25,000, we saw a monster rally off of 20,000. We saw a monster rally off of 15,000. So it makes sense for us to rally off of 20,000. But unlike what happened at 20K, all my TA lined up for a reversal off of 20K. Uh, uh, there's very little TA that I see that I follow that is calling for this reversal. Yes, it's support but everything else is not lined up yet. So I've actually lowered my bullish allocation uh, to Bitcoin at the moment on a trade uh, in, in, in trading portfolios. And I'm going to wait until it breaks above 26 and a half, maybe. Um, I'd rather buy it on the way up than try to catch this dip. So I'm a little bit concerned that 25 will not be the low, uh, even though it's, it's about 50-50 right now. Uh, I'm just mostly surprised that Markets are rallying and the, the dollar is dropping and Bitcoin is dropping. Gold is holding steady. Something is off and I don't know what it is. BlackRock. <laughs> could be. Could be. Yeah, my suspicion always was that when these big institutions like a BlackRock were actually interested in Bitcoin, they would find a way to drop the price down and pick it up on the cheap. That is literally how they make their money. They would crash the a real estate in a certain market and then pick it up on the cheap and then fix it up. I mean, that's just how they do things. Uh, now, how they're going to actually do it, I'm not sure, but, uh, but that's been their MO. Like, how are they going to do it in Bitcoin? I don't know. But that's been their MO, like crash the market first, then buy. I think there's a lot of like possible explanations for why equities could rally and Bitcoin can't right now or isn't right now. I mean, it's been a lot of 
endogenous factors that have occurred in the last two weeks within the broader cryptocurrency industry that could uh, elicit fear and keep people away uh, from Bitcoin because people maybe don't understand the difference between Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies. I think people still read the news about broad, like the broad crypto and they loop Bitcoin into that. I don't know if the education has gone out there more broadly to investors to understand the difference yet. And then maybe people are afraid of where to buy it. I mean, say what you want about Coinbase, but it was still the largest exchange in the United States. And maybe people are like, "Can is, is my fund safe there? Can I buy Bitcoin? Where else can I buy Bitcoin? You know, maybe they don't know about some of these other options that are available to them because they've only seen those commercials, you know, from Coinbase. And they think that's the only place to buy it. And they, they don't know where to buy it. So I, I don't know. There's some possible explanations for why equities would rally and Bitcoin isn't right now, given the last two weeks of news events. I don't know. Joe, you had your thumb down um, for one thing. I'd love to hear your thoughts about things. Yeah, I, I can't really talk too much because I'm at the airport right now. But um, I posted my thoughts on it in the Nest. Uh, you have um, approximately, I think we we're trying to add it up for some of the research with one of my clients. I think you've got almost $5 billion in points in the bankruptcy proceedings that are going to be freed up in the next two months. And I think the market knows that. That's a huge thing. You've got ACH rails that continue to get cut on almost a daily basis to people in the sector. So you got liquidity tightening. You've got the issues with the regulation and the fear that, you know, some of these people just might have the cords cut in the near future. So I think, like, you know, it's all the, all the above, right? All the above are weighing on it and disrupting what should be an otherwise uh, bullish trend uh, this summer. And by bankruptcy proceedings, um, which ones are you talking about specifically? Yeah, I mean, you've got the BlockFi, you've got the uh, Voyager proceeding, you've got the Gox coins that will continue to enter the market over the next two months. Um, you've got a whole whole variety of things. So uh, I can give you two or three more. Um, give me a second, because we were just trying to tabula uh, tabulate all this. Hey, hey Joe, Joe um, have my Gox coins actually entered the market? Because no, no, I was Because no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting myself to die of old age before that happens. I am fully convinced of that. They haven't, but I have on very good authority. You will start to see some of that this summer. All right. I've heard this every year for like five years, so we'll see. <laughs> well, they well, the have trustee, to sell at some they, point, they, right? They, the trustee has sold some coins. So, I mean, exactly. you know, it's not like you, you're just hearing it. It's not happening. It, we, we saw selling going back in 2018. <laughs> The other, the other big difference is the passive flows um, that exist with these tech stocks, these equity stocks, and the fact that the unemployment rate still remains historically low. Um, these passive flows, you know, these 401ks that are just buying very price insensitive, they just buy every month, um, they kind of pump up these tech stocks. That doesn't really exist with Bitcoin. I mean, you could, you could buy it in 401ks and Fidelity, but you have to actively go in there if you're an individual and kind of allocate to that Bitcoin position. A lot of people just kind of go into these index funds. They talk to this financial advisor at the company. They just set it and forget it. They don't even think about their 401ks again. So you have these passive inflows into equities that don't necessarily exist uh, with Bitcoin yet. Um, besides, you know, the dollar cost average army, but, you know, that's still a small subset of the wider, uh, you know, working force or population, whatever you want to say it. So that's a, that's so a big factor. So, Sam, you're exactly right. So we quantified this. We're one of my clients we were talking. And so in the equity market, I tell you about this all the time. Every month, between 6 and $7 that flow into equities. 
come from passive flows. So it's predominant in passive flows. In Bitcoin, you take the $10 that come in on a roughly monthly basis and buy side pressure, about a half of a dollar comes from passive flows. Very interesting. I'd, I'd actually be interested in reading that if, if you could share it one day, Joe. <laughs> but that's great. That's great to hear. Um, I like when people run the numbers, so that's uh, that's fascinating. But yeah, all those all those are examples of why we could see you know Bitcoin trading sideways right now while everything rips. And I've actually always said that the most painful path uh, in this bear market would be if Bitcoin traded and grinded sideways while while other things ripped up, and markets are just savage. And so this is probably the most painful scenario where you know you just got to sit and Bitcoin's trading sideways as these other you know quote unquote risk assets rip up right now you know that's a pretty painful scenario for people and markets love pain um, but I do think that over time people will start to understand the difference between these cryptocurrencies because when you read the lawsuits you know Bitcoin's not named in any of these things and I think over time investors will smarten up to the fact that you know Bitcoin is different but I, I still think that we're in this this period where that's where the education is is like that's where the barrier is where people still don't fully understand that there's bitcoin and that there's the rest of crypto and maybe that's from years and years of misinformation being spread by you know certain organizations but that's where we are right now um and and i don't know if when people hear this news about coinbase or the lawsuits if they even read past the headlines and think about how bitcoin isn't considered a security like these other cryptocurrencies so um I think that's kind of my take on it. I, I don't know if anything anyone had anything to add on the subject. The only thing I was just going to add, I was listening to an interview this morning on CNBC, and they were uh, showing some real-time data about customer losses from Coinbase uh, that are actually accruing to Robinhood. Um, and, and there's a couple of different reasons for that. They were citing, you can probably pull the interview, they posted it. But I thought that was fascinating that Coinbridge, Coinbase is hemorrhaging uh, you know, uh, customers to the other casino, Robinhood. Oh, that's not a good look. Yeah, it's it's significantly easier to lose money on Robinhood than Coinbase. Depends on how degen you want to be. You can be more degen on Robinhood than Coinbase. Yeah, lose, all you have to do is look at the activity of DraftKings, and you can pretty much draw a conclusion from that. Like you can, you can <laughs> on Robinhood, you can buy options with leverage i mean come on <laughs> yeah robin, robin hood also targets uh, a younger demographic than coinbase does targets a good word did you guys see the news of like celsius um announcing that they're going to sell all these other cryptocurrencies that were deemed unregistered securities for eth and bitcoin did you guys yeah, this one had me laughing. This one had me laughing because <laughs> like earlier Tone said something about, and I'm going to get it wrong, but you know, y'all know, I mean, it was just in this call when he was talking about, you know, telegraphing purchases or sales or whatever. So this would be on the other side where, you know, you're going to allegedly get rid of all these shit coins, right? And convert them. But you're also like telegraphing that it's going to happen like July 1st. So... There's this like big window. I'm not going to throw any allegations around, but why would you announce something like that? Maybe, you know, 
one of these big brands have to tell me like, why would you announce something like that? You know, without already being short <laughs> somewhere else. It reminds me of the FTX when, when the, the girl tweeted out like their liquidation level. <laughs> you guys remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Tony, you got your hand up? Yeah, no, no. So, what, what, what I find fascinating in that statement from uh, from Celsius is that they said they're going to sell all of these shit coins into Bitcoin and Ether. So they still haven't learned their lesson because they're still going to sell some of them into Ether. So they still don't get it. It's like watching a slowly die. <laughs> Not selling, but multi-sig. Wait, a shitcoin company doesn't realize that like you shouldn't be selling their shitcoin into another shitcoin. That that's hard to believe. Did you guys, did you guys hear uh, Vitalik's most recent clip from whatever conference that was, where he's basically saying how Ethereum is still centralized and might still <laughs> yeah. and might still fail. He said it very cleverly. Like you could tell that the rest of the audience and the speakers didn't pick up on what he was actually saying. Very cleverly worded word salad. And the and the fact that uh, what, what wicked what part was it? She said that it was like you can't change what's put it's on the, the blockchain. Yeah, and he the, starts. Yeah, she's like it's immutable. Head. Yeah, she's like she's like <laughs> it's nice to know that. Ethereum is immutable, and then and then Vitalik just starts shaking his He's head. Like, no, no, no. He couldn't help it. I mean, I guess he's honest. I don't know, right? What, <laughs> I, will, I will give Vitalik that. So I, well, I can uh, in the last what eight years, Vitalik's been around nine. Um, I have found him to be very honest like that i will never i i will not accuse vitalik of like being super shady and lying uh so he has been honest about stuff uh he stretches it a bit but it overall like he uh he has been pretty honest over the years yeah i mean i think i think he he believes that things will become decentralized eventually and he thinks that there's some roadmap that could that could do that eventually but I don't know. Like all of us up here, I think kind of just don't believe it. And well, when, he, when you said that like five clients are doing this and that, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's like one extra from a technical oligopoly there, Vitalik. Like it's not really decentralized at all. Guys, Vitalik was selling quantum computing machines. He was lying <laughs> from the very, very beginning. He might no, have stopped no, lying as much. It. No, but he he actually believed in it, right? Like, so I, I wouldn't say he was lying. I mean, he believed that, like, like, that would be something of a project. He really did. I mean, okay. Do you buy that? I don't really buy that. I'm pretty sure he knew that he was full of shit, but maybe. <laughs> I mean, he basically incriminates himself uh, on, like, speaking at conferences. So maybe he really did believe it. <laughs> But I've, I've spoken with multiple lawyers who said that there's no precedent where something could like start out as a security and then gradually grow decentralized and become a commodity over time. Like that's the big uh, question that has zero precedent. Um, and I don't know why they think that's like possible. 
I, I think an interesting question. Theory, right? I think an interesting question is like, at what point does a founder of something that they may believe in at the start become, you know, a criminal when it becomes pretty clear that what they have been selling this idea isn't going to pan out, right? Because I mean, you can look at like Elizabeth Holmes with <laughs> Theranos, and it's like, yeah, she may have believed that it would be possible at the start, but at one point, you know, like it very clearly became fraudulent when she knew it wasn't going to pan out and when she started lying about stuff, you know, pertaining to the company. So it's like, at what point do you cross that line? Well, Ask mention, Charles Hoskins, like, he'll know. Not to mention, in, like, intent is cute and everything, but, like, execution and reality is what actually matters. Like, great. Like, Vitalik and Ethereum intended on becoming, like, starting as a security and evolving into co a commodity or whatever. And they intended on becoming, like, some world, like, quantum computing network nonsense. But, like, that didn't happen and that isn't what it is. So, like, what are we going to judge here? Hey, um, I just want to ask a question before I have to get back to work. Um, and kind of to tone because he always knows Russian stuff. So I posted it in the nest, but the the Russian hacking groups and all that, do you guys think it's like an attempt to cause a bank run in Europe or what? And do you think we'll see anything today? I, I don't think so. Um, like the Russian hacking groups, uh, like the, the question you got to ask is, are they government sponsored or they not government sponsored, right? So um, if they're government sponsored, this, that's a very dangerous thing. If they're not government sponsored, then they're on their own. And if they're not government sponsored, I just don't see them causing a big bank run uh, in Europe. I, I, I wouldn't pay too much attention to this. I um, Look, it's, uh, uh, if these banking institutions can be hacked, that easily then they deserve to be hacked that easily like i do think that uh they have decent security over there uh europe us banking system has you know decent security uh to prevent this they care more about the money than they do the infrastructure okay right on you guys have a good morning you too thanks for the question yeah back to Ethereum, I actually agree with Tone. Like, I, I think maybe uh, Metallic is well-intentioned, um, but the beauty of Ethereum is it can just keep going and going. They can, it's like a never-ending project where they're always fixing it. Um, and, and to me, it gets back to Gall's Law, which is a rule of thumb in systems theory and software development emphasizes, like, simplicity. Um, and so, like, a complex system that works it's found to evolve from like a simple system that worked. And if a complex system designed from scratch never works, it cannot ever be patched up to make it work. You have to start all over again with a working simple system from the beginning. Um, and so Ethereum started and added all this complexity and they've been trying to, it, it never really like worked. <laughs> and now they're still trying to fix this thing. Um, and if you look at Gall's law, I mean, you have to start with a simple system and then build on top of that. And that's like the difference between, I believe, Bitcoin and Ethereum is Bitcoin's actually an extremely simple system that is evolving over time on like a solid foundation. And that's kind of how, um, you know, when you look at system theory or software development, that's that's how things have worked in the past, like uh, like the Internet, um, similar to how, you know, the Internet protocol was built. It was very minimalistic, enabled layers of complexity on top of it, like um, 
TCP, IP, HTTP, SMTP was built on top of that stable, simple foundation. And so that's what, when I think of Ethereum, that's all I think about. I think about that roadmap that they posted and they can just keep this going for, for a long, long time and say, Hey, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be decentralized when they look at our roadmap splurges and all that stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't even know, but um, I, I think that Bitcoin's um, approach to design was really smart from the get go. And I think, uh, you know, it's like the tortoise and the hare type situation going on here. And um, I think we're going to continue to see this kind of play out over time. Um, but title of the room is uh, BlackRock Bitcoin ETF. Another ETF. I feel like I've literally been waiting for a Bitcoin spot ETF for literally years and years and years. Tony, you probably more than me <laughs> hearing about this crap. Um so what do you guys think? I mean, what do you guys think about this news around BlackRock, the largest asset manager in the world, applying for a, a spot Bitcoin uh, ETF? What do you guys think about that? I just saw a tweet just now, literally a few minutes ago. It's kind of funny. Uh, BlackRock Bitcoin ETF was only filed to be denied just to show all the small players to stop trying. <laughs> oh, that's, that's funny. funny actually. Love that. It makes sense. Incredibly, incredibly bullish. I think uh, it's probably less to not bullish at all for the immediate term, um, just because of how long it would take to actually get that ETF executed and up and running. Like I, I, I don't know. I don't understand the the back end of it. Like obviously, I don't have the experience in setting up these kinds of products, but I would think that it's at least six months to a year at the fastest out from actually gobbling up bitcoin so blackrock really wants your bitcoin huh why why wouldn't blackrock want your bitcoin exactly because it's in a bunch of smaller utxos does blackrock already have etfs out there like i never really thought of blackrock as a etf specialist right like pro shares and smp uh msci uh, Van Eyck. I mean, these are, you know, companies that specialize in ETFs. I, I don't know if BlackRock is, so I wouldn't say they're the biggest ETF player out there. Maybe the biggest company, but it may not be there. Which is pretty big. And IVV, right, they're, is one of them. And iShares. S&P. You know what? They're pretty big. Um, they're pretty big in terms of ETFs. So. Do you know what BlackRock does specialize in? Political connections. They got a lot of friggin' political connections. So I would say that's a specialty in itself. I'd say every big company in America or in the world does that. They're just better at it. Who got picked to um, handle the uh, the bond sales for Treasury? It was BlackRock, right? Oh, yeah, buy the, buy the corporate bonds, too. I remember that. March 2020. And they bought their own bonds. <laughs> oh my gosh crazy. Um, Foss, you got your hand up So BlackRock is huge in the ETF business They run something called iShares So them and Vanguard are absolutely massive, Tone um, oh, okay. I didn't know they ran iShares I mean, I know Vanguard, but uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know that they so BlackRock, know yeah, they're, they're a subsidiary Okay, that makes sense then Okay, and they're huge. And yes, they ran the corporate bond purchases for the Fed 
to keep high yield spreads intact because during the COVID crisis, there was potential downgrades of four investment grade U.S. mega corporations that were right on the cusp of uh, being downgraded into junk status. Those four were AT&T, General Motors, General Electric, and Ford. And if those four companies had been downgraded by these mystical credit rating agencies from triple B minus to double B, which is the cusp of high yield, the entire amount of debt, the cumulative amount of debt on the balance sheets of just those four companies is bigger than the entire high yield debt market. Think about what that would have done to high yield spreads and then the forced selling from investment grade managers and potential buying by high, high yield managers. High yield spreads would have blown out and the next step is the next shoe to fall is always equity selling because guys can buy the bonds and short the common stock, right? That's a typical arbitrage that takes place in capital structures. So BlackRock was handed the mandate to repurchase high yield debt on behalf of the Federal Reserve. Yes. Is there something more to a, a, a BlackRock ETF than a Vanguard or a uh, Van Eck, uh, excuse me, I shouldn't have said Vanguard, a Van Eck or a Fidelity, 100%. This may be set up to fail, but Larry Fink didn't just fall off the turnip truck, people. This is big. And if this one is set up and then he gets jammed like a jelly donut, well, he looks stupid. And I'm pretty sure Larry Fink isn't out there to look stupid. Over to you. Doesn't, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't BlackRock own Circle? And if that's the case, then Circle is behind USDC. Sounds right. I'd have to check that. I thought Goldman had a piece of Circle. Maybe. But, but my point is, if that's the case, then it sounds like a pretty strong backing for a Bitcoin-backed CBDC. They I'm have not sure I would go. So I'm looking at the Wikipedia. They have investment from Goldman Sachs, and I'm looking for BlackRock. Yep, they got yeah, a BlackRock investment from too. BlackRock Fidelity. That doesn't mean they're they're partly owned by, but I, there's no control. Realistically, the um, like, uh, it's like everyone uh, it's like everyone owns a piece of circle. Like, like they were just like for hire to, yes. <laughs> to yeah, every yeah, okay. financial institution. They're the compliance compliance. <laughs> There's a word I don't want to say because you know there could be kids watching listening. Well, then Jeremy Allure is going on saying, "Regulate us, regulate me, please. <laughs> Govern me harder, Daddy." I'm still, I'm, honestly, I'm still not over BlackRock being hired by the Fed to run that corporate bond program and then the BlackRock so, turning around and buying its own ETFs with taxpayer money. So, but that they, is, they were perfect. Just, Come on, Sam, somebody had to do it. If you're going to hire somebody, you hire the biggest player in the arena. And they run the iShares high yield ETF. Like, you guys understand how a, 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 an ETF works, perhaps. There's creation and redemptions every single you day. Tell Alan. I'm sorry, Terrence. Tell uh, Alan Farrington. I'm kidding. Okay, well, uh, maybe Alan is a pretty smart, dude. I pretty, I'm pretty sure he knows how they run. There's a creation and redemption process that balances every day 
at the close, okay? But during the day, the netting out of, of sales of an ETF, that's just buying and selling. There's actually not any shares that trade, ha I shouldn't say shares, there's sh there is not any components of the ETF that trade hands during the day. It's just net buying and selling. And then at the end of the day, if there's been net selling, there has to be a redemption process. But at the end of the day, if there's been net buying of the ETF, they have to create shares, which means they have to run out in the case of the S&P 500 and buy a little piece of all the 500 companies that make up the S&P 500. That's called the creation redemption process that takes place every single day in an ETF structure. It's very efficient. There are dealers that compete for this on an on a extremely competitive level. It's what makes ETFs efficient. It doesn't mean it makes their strategy good, which is passive investing, which means you are buying the shares of all 500 companies in the S&P, even though 350 of them are dog shit. For example, when you buy the S&P 500, you're buying a piece of Western Union. I think you might need to go to the doctor and examine your IQ if you, are if you are buying a piece of Western Union. Well, that's what people are doing when they buy the S&P 500. That is the creation. Yeah, but they're buying it, on a buying it on a market cap. It's on a market cap adjusted basis. So they're not, still buying it at the wrong price, relative. Joe. If it's a sell, it's a sell. Not I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, sir. I love you. I'm just oh, saying, my job I'm just is saying, done. Joe and I agreed on something. Okay, have a great weekend. <laughs> have a great weekend, you guys. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that, boss. Wicked, or Terrence, you got your hand up? Wicked was first. Yeah, I was just going to mention. Terrence. Oh, can you hear me, Sam? Or wick, wicked. What you, yeah, Wicked, go for it. You got me? Okay. I was going to mention, did you guys see the um, the little part of their ETF filing talking about like whether if Bitcoin hard forks? You guys see that part? Yep. That was yeah. great. Did you it's see the part funny. where they use bits? Oh, they use bits? Do they? Yes. Uh -oh. They're trying to force the community. Bits, yeah, man. They're trolling these... us. They're trying that's, to get us to That's hilarious. Exactly. They're used yeah. to being the big gorilla, but they have no power here. Maybe they were advised by Adam Back. Oh, I wish no. they would have put the word. Oh, oh. I, I would not be surprised if they looked at what Adam Back said and copied it. I'm, I'm not sure they would have reached out to him, but yeah, because if you're, if you're writing this, right, you're a lawyer, you don't know much about Bitcoin, you're from the fiat world or you're BlackRock, you don't know much about Bitcoin, you're going to read the white paper, it cites Adam Back, right? And you're going to be like, hey, isn't he like still around? Like maybe we can look at what he's tweeting. I don't know. That makes sense. I buy it. A new uh, player and, has entered the arena. Yeah, we got yellow. Yellow. Hello. What's up, guys? What's up? We're not sponsoring you. <laughs> Why? You have like two accounts now, like you're multiplying. Jesus. <laughs> hate you so much. I just wanted um, to say my uh, concern. I, I know that I talked uh, with more plebs and they have the same concern. Um, some, some, I said it yesterday also, like my thoughts, like some of us like came in this space because we got frustrated uh, 
with their system. And it's a li little weird feeling seeing those guys making like an ETF now. Yes, Bitcoin is for enemies. Yes, the incentives of Bitcoin are going to make them like work in favor of the network. But if we uh, take a step back and get out of the Bitcoin content like only uh, bubble and think about this, this is a big, a big deal for sure. I think it's like something that's going to change the space. The question is to what it's going to change to. I'm really concerned about those guys. I never trust those guys. This is the reason why I'm in here to avoid those guys. And in the end, uh, those guys, it is uh, unfortunately that, but those guys always win. They have the rigged game. And unfortunately, uh, history shows that they win. And that's why we left. We got frustrated. We didn't fix anything in the old system. We got frustrated. A great project came out of nowhere. We embraced it, right? And we just left. And we are here making and building something from scratch. And now that we have something worthwhile, it has its truth, whatever that is for each and every, every one of us. Now they're knocking on the door on our doors and saying, you know what, I can sell that actually. So just have an alarm about the thing. All I'm asking, have a ask questions. I'm it's like yes, as I said yesterday also in my space, and I'm gonna end it with this. Like, yes, price will go up, but at what cost? So Thanks for the mic. Thanks, Yao. Good perspective. Ant, you got a got a hand up? Yeah, I mean, even if it all fails and it all goes to shit, I mean, we still have Banana Cat Twitter, so I mean, that should be fine, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, my question about this, uh, the the BlackRock like verbiage around the forks. So, like, on the first hand, when you first read it, there's a small part of you where you're like, well, uh, like, this is some good language because, like, they're trying to be practical about the possibility of a fork. And, and you know, they're, they're in that business of, of trying to manage that risk and whatever, right? But on the other hand, and maybe I read it wrong, but shouldn't they keep those forks? Like, shouldn't they, like, pass that value on to the participants of this ETF, like, I don't know how all that works, but what did y'all think about that? I mean, I guess they would just hold on to it, even though it's just trend to zero over time, like all these no. other hard works. No, I think this is, I mean, the, so any, I think any institution or any custodian is going to choose one fork or another, typically. Um, and I mean, they're not going to give you access to both. That would just make their operations extremely complicated. So they're going to choose one or the other, right? And obviously, I mean, if they're a good custodian, then they'll let you um, take 
both into self-custody if you want, but if not, then they'll probably just say like, we're just going to sell all of this one and then, you know, increase your balance after the sale. But they would choose, I would imagine, the one that they want to back. I just want to hold the asset. Like, I know a lot of people want these vehicles and these legacy, like, and I know that there's like a lot of... Yeah, and the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you're in a megaphone or something. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, we can hear you, but you sound like you're being held hostage by Agent Smith. Don't speak poorly about BlackRock CTM. Alex, what's up? Oh, I just wanted to speak to what Banana Cat was saying and his concerns. He mentioned that these guys always win. They've always had control of banking, et cetera. I mean, this has been going on a long time, all the way back to, to the Rothschilds and other banking families in Europe. And he has a point, but my, you know, what I wonder about is, like they used to be able to control everything, but that's mostly done through central banking and through the expansion and the contraction of the money supply plus inflation. And what I wonder about is, do they really have the ability to win? Because if Bitcoin has a finite supply and if, now I don't know if this, they intend to do it this way or not, but I mean, we know for a fact that it is possible to do proof of reserves on Bitcoin. Um, if we, I mean, how are they going to win? How are they going to cheat this system? Does anybody have any thoughts on that? I mean, the only way is to accumulate a lot of Bitcoin. It's, uh, I know accumulating, I, I said this on another space and people are like, but wait a minute, holding a lot of Bitcoin doesn't alter Bitcoin's decentralization model. And that's true, unlike Ethereum's proof of stake. But controlling a lot of Bitcoin does give you a lot of power and uh, it scares people off. And you do get to how the, the price around. How, 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 does, how does controlling a lot of Bitcoin give you a lot of power? If, if, I, may, if I may answer it, a very simple thinking is Bitcoin is a consensus between people and they have so much money that they can make people think whatever they want. Maybe yeah, not. That's a different, that's different. That's a different attack vector than holding a lot of Bitcoin. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, Yellow, and I agree. I think the, the, the greatest weakness or potential attack, maybe it's not a weakness, but the, but the, but the attack vector that I think will be most dangerous to Bitcoin is, is social cultural consensus, right? I think that is the only way to attack Bitcoin. But just because BlackRock has a gigantic stack of Bitcoin in the ETF and just because BlackRock has uh, – maybe they have profits that they can spin off to, to affect maybe people's perception of stuff does not mean that they have control of, of cultural consensus on, on, in the network. They can – I don't look. We can find uh, different technicalities. They can do it technical ways. Uh, I'm just like I'm. As I said, I took a step back, and I'm looking like as a whole. And I think 
there's a threat there to disney let's say, um, this thing. I see it coming. I don't know how exactly they're going to do it. They might uh, collude with ESG miners. They can um, uh, play the narrative uh, culture uh, aspect attack. They, they, there, there are many ways to attack this thing. And all I'm saying is be skeptical about them. I'm not, I, I'm not saying that it will happen or it won't. I don't have that answer. All I'm saying is, yes, the, the, the price will go up. But like, again, at what cost? I don't know that. Like, because I don't trust those guys. So okay, those questions must be asked. Yeah, for sure. But there are ways to kind of control it. If you have a printing machine and trillions on, on you, right? I know I don't I don't agree with that, but I'm not going to argue with you about it. I mean, I get you. I understand what you're saying. Banana Cat doesn't trust these guys. I don't trust them either. Look, the biggest difference now I've been around for a minute and the, the thing that I see that's different now in this particular era is that it's data. It's all about data and they cannot control the data anymore. And that is the difference. The, the from the Medici's on up throughout, they've always been able to control the data in these silos, and they are losing control of the data through this dis, this decentralized protocol. And I think that is the critical point that we oftentimes kind of gloss over is this idea because once once the data is free, watch the fuck out. That's actually a really really good point, and I would say. I mean, you're calling it data, but really it's access to information and intelligence, right? If you guys remember history, um, the Rothschilds were financing both sides of the uh, the Battle of Waterloo, right? If I'm remembering correctly. And basically, it was speed of information and who knew what first was determining how they were going to play it and and whether they were going to make profits on it or not. So I, I actually agree with that point. That's very astute. Got a lot of hands up. Let's go Mike and then Dom and then Foss. Okay. Um, I, uh, along the same lines as what Alex was getting at and kind of as a response to um, Yellow's question, I, uh, I have a particular thought in the sense of continuing off of Alex's thread is that the, the central bankers Central banking cartels have been at the like on both sides of every major armed conflict going back through almost all of history. And I think that there's a reality that needs to be addressed there in the sense of like what kind of evil we are fighting. But then there's a reality in the sense of that the Bitcoin community also, I argue, um, has an issue with expecting complete purification. And there's no, there's no such thing in all of reality that like will pass a true purity test. Um, like it sounds really bad and it sounds kind of like I'm making excuses, but like there's the very, very, very high likelihood that Bitcoin will evolve into something that none of us really foresaw or wanted. Um, so there is that to kind of contend with. And then there's also the reality that Nation states and governments will probably always want to print their own fiat currency because there's like certain just aspects of that that 
you know, that, that will always be desirable as far as like a centralized governing um, body is interested in. And then <clears throat> there's also, um, I was talking with, well, we, we were talking with American HODL yesterday over on the Simply Bitcoin spaces, basically about this very same concept. And I'm starting, I, I agree with HODL in the, in the sense of, I think that there's the possibility of um, where I agree with Yellow as far as the capability of maybe not complete control, but at least the capability to influence Bitcoin and the community um, through these kinds of vehicles where that we're seeing right now, where these large fiat-backed systems are devising these financialized products in order to be able to gobble up Bitcoin um, in the way of providing paper Bitcoin and allowing people to think that they have it and not understanding the control mechanisms and not realizing that they have, in fact, an IOU and they have gotten away from the entire system that they thought that they were getting a break away from in the sense of investing in Bitcoin, quote unquote. Um, and I think that doing like when they're doing these kinds of things like this BlackRock ETF or, or basically like, they're basing it off of a trust, right? The trust is the holding company or the custodian. And I could see a manner in where by doing that and by also acknowledging that because Bitcoin is a truly finite asset and because fiat currency is a truly infinitely printable kind of um, financial product, I won't call it an asset, that there's a way for these governing bodies to be able to gobble up more and more Bitcoin and basically benefit off both sides of the argument as far as big all it's going to go for up go up forever laura it's like people everybody has a price and we all know that people will sell out and at that point they fork over their their control over bitcoin and like the um the financial power and the purchasing power that it does provide to the sense of where i can see a way where like bitcoin does allocate to um start to allocate in large numbers to like very centralized parties and groups and individuals to the sense of where that purchasing power does give those individuals and groups a kind of financial strong arm to be able to steer decision-making and influence like the community. I, I don't know. I, I could, I could see that way. I don't think it's just because of Bitcoin's um, nature. I don't think it makes it completely immune to control and influence. Hey, hey, Sam, can I jump in real quick on something? Well said, Dom. Do you have anything to add to that? Or Joe, do you have a response? I, I don't. That's a great, great point, sir. I just want to point out one thing because we got to jump uh, before people uh, keep talking about this. One thing I think is interesting about the BlackRock situation. Do you know Do you know who the... Dom, Lar Joe? Can you hear me? <laughs> I see you trying to talk, Joe. What's up? Sam, can you not hear Joe? Can anybody hear me? I can hear you, Joe. I can hear okay, you, Joe. Okay, sorry. I, I just wanted to mention, the you know who the single largest shareholder currently uh, that's an entity, not an individual of Coinbase is? No, who is it? It's BlackRock. And this is an <laughs> obvious play to support Coinbase. That's the whole, whole reason they file for this, because the custody solution will be provided with Coinbase. It will propel a ton of revenue towards them. And obviously, they're under an existential threat from the SEC. So I think that's really important for this discussion about why BlackRock listed now. They're, they're essentially trying to help out their investment. Holy shit. Joe, in with, a, Joe in with the crack of the bat. Boom. 
I got to take the other side of that, Joe. Don't leave. It's FOSS. They own Coinbase because they are the largest owner of stocks in the world. And whether they have an active investment in Coinbase versus a passive investment in Coinbase has to be the question, as you well know. But they have, they've expanded it. They went from 25 to now 3.5% in the last six months. That would indicate it's active, but by no means is it meaningful to an institution like BlackRock. 3% of something that's uh, whatever Coinbase is, last time I looked, maybe $15 billion or something like that. It's Again, it's couch change. They don't care. It's not that strategic in a BlackRock uh, uh, consensus. But I wanted to address Mike. They hold Mike. more Coinbase than they do Bitcoin. I mean, like... <laughs> that's fair because they can. Here, you. there's a perfect segue. The reason everybody is getting bullish about BlackRock is for people who don't do their homework and don't understand stuff that not your keys, not your coins. But if you have a QSIP, and this is how America works on a QSIP, if you have a QSIP on anything, it is so much easier to get allocated to that asset as long as it has a QSIP. Now, Bitcoin does not have a QSIP. What's a QSIP, Foss? It's a fucking identifier of a security or an asset class. It's what Wall Street runs on. What's your QSIP is basically a nine-digit identifier of what it is. It's a stock, a bond. It's a, it's a futures contract. It's a piece of real estate that runs through the system of whatever QSIP stands for. But it's all basically a database monitoring and database allocation system. So I want listen to me. I love yellow. You know, he made me cry. He's not going to make me cry today because I'm taking the other side of the argument. People are going to invest in Bitcoin the easiest and most comfortable way they can, especially on Wall Street, which means they will gravitate to a BlackRock solution before they go into self-custody. Why? It's easier for their systems and it's more comfortable for them to monitor their portfolio. Now, if they go down the rabbit hole far enough, and this includes, don't forget, BlackRock is not the investor in this, people. It's the clients of BlackRock that are buying this, which could include a number of very small companies that otherwise would not have the balls to buy Bitcoin. But since it has a QSIP, they're like, you know what? I've been listening to yeah. all these. Get me some of this QSIP. And by the way, the largest asset manager in the world has a QSIP that corresponds to a spot. It's not a pure ETF. It's a trust. Yes, 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 yada, yada, yada. Fuck, guys. This is progress. And it's progress for the people that will go down a rabbit hole and realize, just like I did, I got Bitcoin firstly on a wallet. But when I started doing big size trades in Bitcoin, when I say big size, I don't want to talk like I'm managing a ton of money. I actually bought, yes, God forbid, Bitcoin ETFs in big size rather than going out and having to fund my fucking wallet and going through all these hurdles because the wallet doesn't take as much uh, Bitcoin as you'd like or as much transfer as you'd like to buy Bitcoin. And you do it in a stock portfolio where you're used to trading bigger size than you are on a Bitcoin wallet. But then you go down the rabbit hole and you realize, damn, these ETFs, yeah, they got tax advantages, but I got to get more of my money in custody, self-custody, off the, you know, uh, cold storage, all the good things. 
But that's the FOSS experience. And that's how these Wall, Streets are, Wall Street guys are going to do it the same way. Because your life revolves around a Q-SIP and then you really do the homework and you're like, damn, this Q-SIP carries risks. And if I'm really some of these conspiracy theorists, like some of our very intelligent audience are, then I better get out of that ETF. But in the meantime, I think it orange pills a ton of people and I believe it to be a good thing. Yellow and Banana Cat and Love You Brother, at the end of the day, it's not BlackRock buying this stuff. BlackRock is simply the, met, the, the uh, platform. It's the clients of BlackRock, which could include everybody. Yes, there could be some bad actors, but I promise you, I have lots of faith that there's way more good actors that will get exposure to Bitcoin than there are bad actors through the BlackRock ETF. Over to you guys. Let's, hey, let's go to Dom. Tone, Dom's been waiting patiently. Let's, Dom, you got your hand up? Yeah. Um, a lot of points have already been hit, including the question I was going to ask Joe that he already covered, though, as far as the impacts on the on the uh, proceedings with Coinbase and, and what that, that means for the influence. But I agree, too, with, with um, you know, Yellow has a good point. Do, don't trust BlackRock, of course. But I'm sure BlackRock is doing, like Foss uh, mentioned, what they've done for a long time very well, make money for their clients. And looking at the landscape of everything that's going to happen, looking ahead to the having, uh, I'm sure their thoughts on Bitcoin uh, are a lot more short-term profit versus long-term takeover and taking over the asset. Although we never discount, you know, a, a, a devious plan like that. But when you look at the size of Bitcoin compared to their entire portfolio, you know, I think they're positioning uh, to profit off of a, uh, you know, large support heading towards Bitcoin with a lot of coins falling off. Uh, and additionally, it's interesting what I was going to ask Joe as far as the influence of this. There's a lot of commingling as far as custody, right? JP Morgan is the primary uh, custodian for assets for BlackRock, I believe. They obviously brought Coinbase to market. Uh, we're an investor and, you know, BlackRock now using Coinbase as a custodian. I'm sure that those, when you look at that that power and influence as a whole, the, the influence it will have on uh, the Coinbase proceedings and the outcome of that have to be, I mean, if you're Judge Reardon right now, Man, what a what a what a what a large force to be uh, looking at as far as the future. Of course, they're going to go off the law, uh, but a lot of interesting things happening with that. Welcome to the Sage, Stephen. Uh, yeah. Hey, so something I want to shout out, and uh, I want to shout out. I've been uh, reading over Alan Farrington's piece that he's going to oh, publish this morning. Sorry, he's, can you uh, hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I, didn't. I can hear him. Yeah. Yeah. So I was reading over, uh, talking with Alan this morning. He's in the audience. He's about to publish a piece on the ETF. And there's a part at the end of it that I think is particularly relevant here. And he says something to the effect of when you're looking at this structure, which does have like certain attack vulnerabilities, um, you have to realize with these large institutional firms, with these big pools of capital, like, 
self custody is not how these institutions are going to enter the space. Like self custody is not how these funds are going to enter the space. And so the opposite of good custody, he says at the end is not self custody. It's no custody, no custody being paper Bitcoin. And so like, if you don't want all of the money and you don't want all of the coins just getting rolled up into a BlackRock trust slash quasi ETF, like you need a good, like an actual good custody option for these these pools of capital. And otherwise, like it's gonna go to this. And got your hand up. Yeah, thanks. I'm just listening to y'all. It's a good conversation. I just think and, and everybody's kind of close to it, but there's something I think people are missing. And it's it's actually way more simple than it seems. So, you know, the the, the banks and the central bankers and the planners, I mean, they have, uh, you know, they have their methods that they use. And Bitcoin is a network. It's voluntary. We're all talking about people getting here and adoption and all that. Well, if they're here to play, then, you know, they have their methods that they're going to try. They, they use, you know, lever, uh, levers and, and market making. Uh, you know, they, they leverage the fact that they're the trusted system that, you know, people need to believe in. Uh, they, they deal with the fiat uh, backed by fallacy. And, you know, so, I mean, when you think about it, like these banks, it's, it's awesome for adoption and everything and all the metrics that, that you know, them coming in and, and them making big, huge buys on a, uh, a hard capped, you know, Bitcoin uh, could provide for adoption. I mean, that's that's all great and dandy, but really, what they really want to do, in my opinion, is they just want to run the same old gold scam, but with Bitcoin, where they capture the asset via, you know, massive accumulation, i.e., everybody turning in their money or their Bitcoin over to them, and then they try, you know, PayPal tried it essentially, Robinhood tried it, where they hand out fake essentially fake Bitcoin paper marks. And, you know, you want to keep most of the users in their custodial systems with the ability to quote unquote transfer air quotes Bitcoin between each other, but it's still just fake Bitcoin. And most users are unaware. And then suddenly they, they get to their trusted point and they say their Bitcoin becomes the trusted coin and your Bitcoin becomes black market terror coins. And, you know, I mean, that's, what it seems like to me. Yeah. That's always been the attack vector, right? It's various forms of um, large commercial banks and investment banks creating like an internal sort of Bitcoin ledger that is very easy to use. And, you know, you just log into your Bank of America app and you've got a Bitcoin wallet in there. And, oh, you want to send some Bitcoin to your friend? Well, yeah, they bank with Chase and we can just do a transfer between your B Bank of America Bitcoin wallet and your Chase Bitcoin wallet. And like, you know, it's like, it's not actually moving. It's not actually real coins. You don't actually control it. It's a proxy in their system. And, you know, and the price is going up because look at the adoption. Bank of America, Chase, why wouldn't you buy Bitcoin? You're getting rich. You own it with them. It's easy. Everyone does it. That's the attack vector. Yeah, the, the seven serpents want your Bitcoin. Jesus, you're killing me with that, man. Stop it. Uh, all right. A, a few thoughts here, and and I'm glad you brought the thing up with with gold. 
because uh, that is a potential attack vector. However, there are there are some differences here. I'm getting DMs by people who are asking, all right, well, how will we know that it's one-to-one? -one? Won't they try to deviate immediately from one-to-one -one in the ETF itself? And here's the thing is, is that we have the ability nowadays to do proof of reserves. <clears throat> like if, if I don't know whether they will or not. All I'm saying is, is it's possible to verify whether the, whether the, ETF itself actually has the Bitcoin it claims, right? That's not the problem, though. The pro also, by the way, as as <clears throat> Foss mentioned, the the, the legal uh, entity of it being a trust is not uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, this has happened before with GLD; they've already proven it works, so that's not really an issue. What matters is how the share creation works. The, the creation and redemption mechanism matters because the way they did it with GLD in gold is that excluded <clears throat> individuals from creating or redeeming shares. You had to be what's called an authorized participant and you had to do it at scale. So uh, they were doing 100,000 shares of GLD at a time. And if you weren't, in order to be an authorized participant, you had to have certain criteria. I'm talking about the GLD one um, that excluded probably 99.99999% of players in the market. You had to both be a bullion bank. You had to be one of the largest institutions in the world. There were a lot of the criteria that basically they defined it in a way that made it the good old boys club. Only these guys could could create and redeem shares. Here's where the problem starts. If so, in the GLD itself, there they had a room for shenanigans when it came to how they were using subcustodians. Because with subcustodians, here the here's the interesting part. Yes, the GLD was an audited ETF, but the interesting thing to me was that the subcustodians they basically said we have no visibility in terms of direct audits of the sub what the subcustodians are doing. So theoretically. If they play the same shenanigans, and the and let's say they have a one to one on on verification on chain with with supposedly what the ETF has, they could potentially write legal agreements in with subcustodians that allow them to do the bait and switch thing with the leasing. This is where the weird stuff starts to happen with these guys. Is, if they can lease the underlying asset, they could then create derivatives on top of that. And, and that's where I see problems potentially occurring. Last comment here. Uh, this is what's different with Bitcoin. Now, whether it will make a difference here or not, I don't know. But number one, we have a hard cap supply, which makes it more difficult for them to play games. And the second thing is, this is what gold did not have. Bitcoin has a huge ecosystem of real experts, like really smart people who can teach people about all the scamtastic bullshit that these guys might pull. And this didn't really exist with gold. I mean, there were a small handful of guys who would say, hey, this is possible. This is possible. Maybe they're doing this. Maybe they're doing that. Um, but the problem is nobody fucking listened to those guys. You know, it's like a very small group of like you know, they were painted basically as as conspiracy theorists, et cetera, and they didn't get a lot of traction with with mainstream finance. So whether they'll apply the, you know, try that same technique here, I don't really know, but I think there's a lot of credibility with with Bitcoin.
Good points, Alex. Uh, shout out to Alan Farrington. He's in the audience. I see you there, buddy. If you want to come up, we'd love to have you. Uh, let's go to TC. Um, and then Hado, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. But uh, TC, good morning. Morning, guys. Um, just real quick, I, I, I really do sort of feel some of the same concerns around sort of the typical market manipulation kinds of stuff that these guys are, you know, well known for that they've done in the past. I think the gold is a fantastic example. As far as I'm aware, it's, you know, incredibly, uh, hypothecated. Uh, but yeah, Bitcoin is different and there's definitely going to be some constraints to what they can do as far as that. Um, the things that I think about when I'm thinking about what they could ne uh, necessarily sort of attack Bitcoin with it's, it's, reputation uh it's censorship on a what's supposed to be a censorship resistant asset but there's also some specific language in that filing that talks about the forks i know you guys brought that up a little bit ago but the thing that i keep thinking about is i think it specifically says in there if there is a fork they get to choose which fork is going to be held by the etf which is a you know maybe that's kind of sort of standard uh, legal positioning to cover themselves, but uh, it immediately makes me think there's potential situations where they have an incentive to encourage forks. They have an incentive to potentially pick the wrong fork uh, in certain cases. Um, that That is actually kind of particularly concerning because as we know, we have uh, goofballs out there claiming to be Satoshi and some pretty ridiculous forks that, you know, a surprising number of people take seriously today. Imagine an institution like BlackRock putting their sort of stamp behind one of those ridiculous forks and suddenly, you know, not only steering all the people that have their capital invested in that, um, in that fund towards the wrong fork, but sort of putting their authoritative, um, you know, seal of approval onto the wrong thing and causing a, you know, a much more difficult social consensus situation around that fork than would otherwise be without them in that position. Absolutely. Yeah. The fork attack is interesting. You know, if you imagine a world where there's a huge amount of funds, a huge amount of Bitcoin held underneath the structure, and, you know, it provides a very uh, easily accessible lever for the government or for other power brokers to kind of push for, you know, a given fork to be selected as the legitimate one. Now, obviously, Bitcoin users can just continue to use actual Bitcoin. And, you know, for this to have staying power, it needs to obviously like, you know, the the you know the there needs to be buying there needs to be a market that emerges around the you know the the kind of fake fork but when you're talking about an institution like BlackRock and these pools of capital well there's a lot of money that can get pulled into that and that price can get propped up for a while so you know it is a it is a you know that is the other risk of this Hado, you got any thoughts, man? Yeah, uh, first of all, I'd just like to say that uh, I am Satoshi Nakamoto, and uh, that's important that I put that out there. 
Um, no, the, <laughs> I think a lot of good points have been made on the stage. I think of our, our relationship as Bitcoiners with Wall Street as being largely ambivalent. So what does that mean? It means we're frenemies. So we're aligned on number go up and we are misaligned on freedom values. And financial services and uh, the bureaucrats in Washington basically work hand in glove with each other. And as long as Wall Street is making money, then there's no problem doing the bidding of, you know, the bureaucrats in Washington. So we do have to be concerned about rehypothecation. We have to be concerned about all the types of games they play. Now, the interesting thing about Bitcoin is like the ability to fork off people who you don't agree with, who, are, who aren't in consensus, even if they hold a large majority of coins is super interesting. I think a framework you could use to think about it would be like, imagine if you had a bunch of gold in a vault and you could teleport the gold out of the vault. That's essentially the superpower that we have as a community in Bitcoin, right? But it's important that we don't let it get to the point where all of these uh, you know, centralized containers, these honeypots for wealth end up with large majority of Bitcoin. Now they're going to anyway, right? Like millions and millions of Bitcoin are going to end up in the public markets. This gives the powers that be a greater ability to co-opt and control Bitcoin, which is something none of us want. And so the, the revolution is still largely centered around self-custody. I put up a thread earlier talking about how we need to make that easier for people. One of the worst things I see people do, I've been super guilty of it myself in the past, so I'm no better than anybody else. We moralize it. We make it into an intelligence test. We try and shame people into getting in, interested in self-custody. And really, cryptographic secret keeping is not something that humans have had a lot of reps with over human history. It's a pretty complicated new skill set. And we need to teach people to go slowly and take baby steps as they go through their journey learning to be self-sovereign. If you're remembering back to your first Bitcoin transaction, you were a scared little bitch about it. Uh, and then when the transaction finally cleared, that feeling of nervousness turned to a feeling of empowerment. It was true for me. It was true for you. It'll be true for the next million, 10 million, 100 million, billion Bitcoin users. It's something that we're going to have to guide people through so we can all do better on that. Something I want to shout out on the back of that, too, is um, I don't, it's probably been discussed here, but from what we're seeing, I mean, it is there is no teleporting out of the BlackRock stack like it is non redeemable at all unless they decide to be very nice to you. Yeah, the, the teleport, the analogy that I was talking about is much more of a larger consensus driven thing where we basically have a community grass led movement, you know, like a user activated soft fork, but it would be probably a user activated hard fork this time around, uh, to, you know, fork off all of the coins that have been co-opted by Wall Street. This is sort of a high level level theoretical framework. So it's just gotcha. an interesting thing to think through. 100%. Yeah, no, I just want to, you know, there's been so much debate on Twitter about like redeemability versus non redeemability, which is like what the crux of this issue comes down to. And, you know, from what it looks like, it, this thing is just non redeemable. I mean, yeah, hey guys, it, listen, if you trust black, here's the real intelligence test. If you trust BlackRock, uh, America's landlord who've been shoving woke propaganda down your fucking throats, then you're the fucking idiot. If they capture the pricing mechanism, they've captured the system. Hey guys, it's Foss. Uh, mic drop moment by HODL.
there are so many different people this will appeal to. We can't put them all in one bucket, okay? Understand that it's a process. The most important thing is exposure to the asset class, and then you understand how to take so self-sovereign custody. This is an on-ramp that will be valuable to so many, not to everybody, but to so many. So mic drop moment to hodl. You're a man of great wisdom and you, you stir the shit. I love it. But at the end of the day, these guys are coming. Why are they coming? Because Bitcoin is the only asset that will save the bacon of all the pension plans in the world. So they're coming. And this is a good on-ramp for them to understand how they need to get Bitcoin in their portfolio to save the pensions of many teachers and many firemen and many servants of the system, like it or not, that need Bitcoin, but don't know how to do it. Well done, Greg, guys. This, this is the path to failure and capture. If products like this proliferate and absorb volume and become the dominant factor of the pricing mechanism with the legal right to arbitrarily decide which fork is the valid fork, then that is capture, failure, game over. This is about taking the pricing mechanism away from them, not using it to pump the price. Hey guys, I'm going to jump down. This was a great space. I love Macro Fridays. I'm going to join them more often. Uh, Hoddle, I uh, haven't seen you in the, two, two days in a row with you in spaces. Awesome. All right, great, great thoughts for us. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. We need to build... You need to build a better custodial option for these institutions so they don't use the ETF. Absolutely. Does it have a QSIP? Does it have a QSIP? And if it does, then you will solve it. But until it has a QSIP and read what a QSIP is, it is like your identifier of any allocation you make in a portfolio. It's your identifier until it has the QSIP, Terrence, or if that was Steven. You need yeah, to get the QSIP. I agree with you. QSIP word of the day in all caps. I got to bounce. Have fun, guys. By the way, I actually think we don't spend enough time talking about the gradients in our ability to custody. So, you know, we, we often frame it incorrectly as self-custody or, you know, third-party custody. And there's a lot of, you know, different structures that we can create i mean for anybody who's used like unchained capital for for instance that's an example of a new structure collaborative custody is something that doesn't exist in traditional finance and so i think often it's incorrect that we take traditional finances frame and we try and shove bitcoin into it bitcoin is a brand new alien technology that has all of these awesome features that we basically have yet to turn on you know and we're starting to get these great improvements using like miniscript covenants there's a lot of exciting multi. I mean, multi-sig by itself is a high-grade institutional level financial service like fintech. You know what I mean? Like you could run the entire global financial system on multi-sig using Bitcoin as the back end. That's how fucking amazing just a base level multi-sig is. So there's a gradient in terms of custody. There are a lot of new ways we can think about this. And trying to shove it into the old traditional models is stupid and pointless. So we're, we're not going to talk about the consensus risk here that entities like a BlackRock ETF no, proliferating and becoming it. dominant are, is going to be.
Yeah, man. How about you? Elaborate because you and Hot are making great points. They're just not not quite complementary. Or not. You're, you guys are both making great points, but they're different. So yeah, let's. I vote for spending time on what Shinobi mentioned earlier for now. Sure, I'm happy to talk about consensus. If if this trust becomes the blueprint for what is approved institutionally, and that attracts dominant volume, then they become the deciders in terms of the pricing mechanism. They become the majority of volume in this market and reserve the legal right to arbitrarily decide which fork is air quote Bitcoin in the event of a disruptive thing. And you speak of covenants and all these cool things, Hoddle, they're not going to want to turn that kind of shit on because it obsoletes them. It destroys their ability to rent seek and collect fees on these types of products. So anybody cheering this type of shit is playing checkers instead of chess and not paying attention. This is the road to capture and failure. End of story. Like the, the entire goal here should not be to see products like this proliferate. It should be to create pricing mechanisms that are distributed and outside of their control that can attract and maintain that volume so that these types of products don't become the dominant volume makers in this market. Yeah, I, Shinobi, I hear you. Um, but I mean, the idea of like something like join market competing with BlackRock is is just retarded, right? Like we just don't have What's anything. Join, dude, what does join market have to do with BlackRock? I, listen, I'm just, I'm, I'm using it. Listen, I'm using a hyperbolic example. Okay, the the point I'm making is like Bitcoin circular economy stuff is just simply not large enough for the amount of liquidity flows that are going to be needed. So like, there's going to be this unfortunate reality. And like, by the way, I'm not cheering it or championing it. I'm just talking about it as it's happening. There's going to be an unfortunate reality where at least uh, a few million Bitcoin end up in America's public markets. I mean, we already have, what, over a million Bitcoin in the public markets today. Uh, it's very likely that by the end of the decade, there will be something like 5 million Bitcoin in the public markets. So, like, what are we going to do about that actual reality? Well, what the first mean? thing would be to stop cheerleading this, like this is some necessary evil or, or progress. It should be discussing obviating the need for these types of things or routing around these types of things because 5 million Bitcoin in the U.S. public markets effectively means that the U.S. government through regulation has the entire Bitcoin market by the balls. They decide the price. They decide what's allowed to or not allowed to happen in this market, which also has knock-on effects on miners and their profitability. That is a very, very dangerous road. That's not just, oh, this is going to happen. What are you going to do about it? That's effectively an existential crisis for the survivability and sustainability of Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you oh. at all. And I also think, you know, the people who are telling me like status quo, you know, the SEC look, is looking for surveillance agreements and, you know, this BlackRock ETF is not going to get approved. LOL. Why do you think it's going to get approved? It's going to get because it's because, BlackRock. Yeah, it's going to get approved for all of the reasons that Shinobi just said. I, I do think that the powers that be are getting smarter about this. They're finally wising up to the fact that in order to control and co-op Bitcoin, they have to allow Bitcoin into the public markets. And who better than your your emissary of, you know, BlackRock?
who basically is a, like, what I said earlier. BlackRock's like a financial paramilitary wing of the American Empire, anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, I. I mean, it, I've made this is, point. But... Go ahead. Yeah, I, I've. I've. I mean, for a couple of years, like when I speak with private clients at Swan and people ask about like, what about a ban? Like my stance for the last year and a half has been, it's not going to be a ban. It's going to be that they approve some spot ETFs and they just capture a huge stack of coins. Like it's so much easier and less politically costly to do it. This has always been the attack vector. This has always been the way to kind of, you know, try to attempt to neuter it is, you know, basically through embracing it on the surface, hold the price goes up, everyone smiles and nods, and they, you know, amass a huge stack of these coins. And like, you know, it's the, the solution is twofold. Like on one hand, you do need to like continue to develop like all of these peer to peer self custody channels. And that's important. And you need to make that robust and easy. But you also just need like fucking Caitlin Long to issue just a fully reserved custodial option that is fully regulated and easy for these institutions to you know access you know i'm using her or, as an example but like you need why, why not why not something else what why what, not what? take advantage of something like multi-sig that would allow legal structures looking like a trust like this without the the trust operator actually having control of things. Why is yeah. somebody like Coin Center crying before Congress about shit coins instead of lobbying Congress for new laws or regulations to clarify and allow structures like that that don't put so much control unilaterally in these entities' hands? Why are the lobbyists in Washington priorities so fucked up that instead of thinking about massive systemic issues and ways to alleviate them like that, they're crying about shit coins being persecuted. Yeah. So no, I, and you know, my goal is not to like, like decide or debate or articulate like the exact way it should be structured. My point is just to say that like, yeah, if you can get a multi-sig custodial setup that fully ticks all the boxes that these institutions and funds need, that they can say, hey, I'm just going to hold it there rather than an ETF, then that's it. I don't really care how you do it as long as it's not the same vulnerability and it is preferable to these institutions with their specific set of requirements that they can just put the capital there. Like You need both those things at the same time. You need to develop self-custody. You need to develop peer-to-peer. You need to develop everything that we've, we're always talking about. But you also need to get in front of these fucking ETFs with a superior option. The, the superior so, option is not going to come from shitcoin lobbyists, though, by the way. They're not going to be the ones to offer it up. It's going to be Bitcoin technologists who offer up the superior option. Shitcoin lobbyists are fucking morons, and you can tell them, you can wind them up with whatever talking point, like a little wind up doll, and send them off to Congress. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's hilarious. Maybe stop so, giving them money. I don't. I, I don't know any Bitcoiner that gives Shitcoin Center, Altcoin Center, any money. Really? Like no real Bitcoiner. Name one. What, I what see people Bitcoiner? throw their name around and encourage sending their money all the time. No, well, but like you, you guys, and I you both also, know like, and hodl. Also they're terrible. The fact that there's far more people that are not Bitcoiners that will give them money. Eighty-seven percent, according to. Uh, Former Bitcoiner Jameson Locke. Listen, BPI, you know, the Bitcoin Policy Institute, those are the guys. Those are the guys doing Oof. the real work. 
I'm just kidding. Casa only does uh, multi-sig. They're a good firm, fine firm, as we used to say on Wall Street. Anyway, so to Shinobi's point, sorry, um, just real quick. um, Number one, um, I I agree with basically everything that Stephen Hoddle and Shinobi said. Here's where I differ. I want to calm you guys down a little bit. The market cap of iShares, uh, the um, iShares Gold Trust is only two, quote unquote, only two billion. Gold is much more popular among the eight billion people that own zero Bitcoin. I hate to say it; it has uh, the longevity. It's a shit coin compared to Bitcoin. But iShares Gold Trust, two point one six billion dollars market cap. So I would expect the iShares Bitcoin Trust to be significantly smaller. We'll see. Um, but if I'm right, then iShares and BlackRock do not will not own that much Bitcoin. That's number one. No, no, Terrence, hold on. That's that's you can't do that because GLD is the one. There's certain ones, IAU, GLD, all of these ones had first mover advantage. You're ruining my narrative with facts, Foss. I don't. I I don't want to. No, you're right. You're right. Right. You got to remember this first mover and the fact that they're the largest on the street. It will be different this time. Just want to throw that math into the equation. Yeah. So the market cap of GLD is $58.67 billion. So if, if, the, if this Bitcoin trust does get approved, it should be a fraction of that. I think that's fair. Canada times 10. Canada times 10. We did 4 billion in Canada. Multiply it. No by one 10. cares about Canada, Greg. I love you. But we live in your attic rent free. You got to because we did 4 billion. <laughs> you guys are going to be 10 times shit. 4 billion. 4 oh, billion I, times 10 is 40 billion. There you go. That's the number. Just for those of us who are curious, which I'm sure I'm not the only one. When you were talking about FOSS, when you're talking about um, buying ETFs, were you buying the Canadian ones or like something else? The Bitcoin I will tell you the history of my like investing in Bitcoin. Cold art wallet into ETFs, GBTC. Yeah, shame on me, but it was the only instrument. Then the Canadian ETFs came and there was no mark to market or, or sorry, no net uh, uh, premium or discount to NAV. I was partner in a company that brought an ETF to Canada. Whether it's or not, it's shame on FOSS. I will just tell you. Bitcoiners that own that ETF and put it in a tax-advantaged RRSP get a 50% tax advantage by buying Bitcoin from your government. I think that makes sense. But where is all my Bitcoin now? It's in cold storage. Why? Because I went down the rabbit hole and learned. But it starts with ease of transaction. It starts with a QCIP. Again, a QCIP, GBTC, where that QCIP shows up in my portfolio and I can manage that risk against all my other assets that also have QCIPs. So I like what Shinobi's saying. I don't want ever the government to control this, but the people are buying BlackRock ETFs. Until you show me that the government is behind the BlackRock ETF, then I'm going to go with the people and the power of the people to get exposure to Bitcoin. Yes, sir. The government is behind that. Like th- that kind of attitude about government involvement and manipulation of things is just ridiculously naive. Of, of course, course they you. play According these to games. You. According of, of to course you. they, <laughs> Greg, if, if you even knew a fraction of the history of the 20th century, they put their hands in everything. 
Like the, the fucking head of the CIA was literally dragged before Congress to explain things like his involvement in U.S. media organizations and the use of things physically shown in Congress, like uh, dissolvable toxin guns that caused heart attacks with poisons not checked for in, in traditional fucking autopsies. And that, that head of the, the CIA ironically died of a heart attack on his fishing boat um, five years later. Um, the, the government does these things. It, that is obvious. That, that should be taken for granted and not uh, uh, putting your hand out with demand for explicit proof when obvious things like that are happening. That's the way of the world. That, that's how things work. Also, the people are stupid. Yes. When you think about who's going to use, you know, an ETF structure, it's going to be old people, mainly. Like people, uh, you know, who have retirement funds, people who have a lot of money wrapped up in their brokerage accounts. That's who really this product is, is geared towards. Yo, who has all the money, Hoddle? Old people. Who threw me out? Exactly. But Brian, okay, on that basis. Sam did people... it. Sam did it, Yellow. Okay, and then Sam can oh, kick no. me out, okay? I want to talk to Shinobi. Shinobi, look, I understand your thesis. I believe in a lot of the stuff you're talking about. There are people that will get, including boomers, that are far more comfortable getting exposure to Bitcoin that they pass to their children via this instrument rather than going through the whole self-custody thing. I know the answer is cold storage. That comes with time and comfort. I'm just telling you, you know, you have this thesis. I have spent the 30 years. Can I just say this? The, the way to get Bitcoin to your children from the boomers is for the boomers to get comfortable with it. And sometimes the easiest way for them to get comfortable with it is in an exchange traded product that exists on Wall Street where they have the rest of their investment portfolio. That is my thesis. This is Craig, you, you have a you have a, a fork in the road in the desert. You you can either get where you're going down the paved road where the bandits wait to ambush you, or you can strike out across the dunes. If you take that road, you're not going to make it where you're going. And if you do, you're not going to make it with anything that you brought with you. Like the way you are talking is just not how that's going to work. So does that they're not, does they're that not going to have, have to wear an ETF mask? that gets passed down to their children. Those coins will not make it to their children. They will be subject to whimsical laws and changes like a 90% inheritance tax or whatever insane totalitarian shit our government wants to do. And they will never make it to your children's hands. False. That easy road, that, that fast road that you want to walk down is, is the I road I don't want to walk that road, Shinobi. I am telling you with the road that will allow it for more adoption. If we don't want more adoption, that's fine. False, false. false. Can I, can I uh, say something? Uh, I hear your point. I, th I feel sorry that I started <laughs> with my concerns at the start of the space. No, but this has been a great discussion, Yellow. It is. Uh, folks, I hear your point, but you got to understand, those, and you know it better than any of us here, you were in that position and you left, right? So those guys, with all the people that you're saying, that they are going to onboard, 
through those people are going to change what Bitcoin is because they're going to dictate to them how they're going to use it. If all those boomers, 10x the people that we are now here, are onboarded and using it centralized, Bitcoin kind of changes. It's influenced. It's altered. So the joke is that they don't even have Bitcoin. They won't even have Bitcoin. They're going to have like a diluted kind of Bitcoin with an explanation mark in the end. Bitcoin, a Disney-fied version of it. So, All right. I love you. I love you. You're making your impact. I get it. I get it. I love you guys. If you want number, if you want adoption that makes number go up, this is one of the on ramps. Otherwise, I don't actually care because I'm not selling my Bitcoin. It's going to my kids, and that's full stop. That doesn't mean I'm representative of the whole world. Thank you for your service, Shinobi and Yellow. I just, am taking. We're just, talking, a, we're just talking, dude. Come on. I agree. I agree. It's not arguing. This is actually very in, uh, instrumental to me and my understanding coming from a different fork in the road, as Shinobi would say. But when you're managing risk and you need allocation to this beautiful asset, this just makes it easier. Is it right? Not perfect, but it's better than not. My opinion only, send hate mail to Hoddle. He handles it better it's, than me. It's Thank worse. you, guys. It's worse. Like, let, okay, let us go sideways for 10 years. Let, let none of these things come to fruition. <laughs> and Bitcoin will succeed and be stronger than ever. Taking this road... Is, is failure. It's walking headlong into failure. But Shinobi, wasn't this but, always going to happen, though? Yeah, right. I'm going to say the same thing, man. We, we've been talking about, is everyone surprised that there could be an ETF? They've been calling for an ETF for how many years, man? How many years they've been saying this is going to happen? It's here. You know, we always we always say, yeah. Yeah, and how many enemies. years have I been yeah. saying these exact same things? Yeah, yeah since you're right. 2015. Yeah, yeah you're right. You try it's always all. Shinobi's always been against it. He's been extremely I, consistent. I agree. So, but you, but so many you can't be are. against it. But you can't it, whether you're against it or not. It's, you it, can be. It's listen, free game. It's you free, can be free game to happen. You can be ideologically opposed to it oh, and still recognize that it's going to happen. Of course, that's where I'm but at. Let's let's look at it for what it is, though. All right, it was six years ago, man. Larry Fink, calling Bitcoin. This is like the index of money laundering. What we had, what we had up to here. Let's say you got you know MicroStrategy and El Salvador, the, the two biggest names to go all in and everyone was saying man if only we had some more corporations and country you got blackrock coming in here just by a sheer numbers game i don't know what's going to do with it that lens whether you look blackrock you know people agree is a piece of shit owning everything or what do you call it huddle like the paramilitary arm of, of the government maybe they are but guess what everyone around the world is going to wake up to the fact that they're they're setting up a bitcoin etf and i would just posit will they many more yeah or will they Maybe. look at Bitcoin as just another tool of the American yes. empire and yeah, immediately they, write it off and walk away they, from it? They, they might. But you know what? That's why I want to see this game theory play out. Is it going to be countries that come in? We're watching what's going on um, Bobby, with, with, with Rick. This is not a podcast. This, these kind of arguments <laughs> are like we, we, we hear it in podcasts. But it's not. It's this is real life. We, we are talking to get, together now, and we're real people. This is not a fucking narrative for podcast. I get it. Bitcoin is for enemies. The incentives, like, yes. oh, you know, alter their fucking mentality are about. Come on, man. That's not my point. The point is how this unfolds. Is when now other countries are saying what El Salvador did when they're looking at this. Like, wait a second. Um, this Bitcoin that they're getting into. 
You mean we can actually get this and have it ourselves outside the system, outside of the U.S. dollar as a reserve? Is currency? it though? If 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 I five so. million Bitcoin are in U.S. public markets, is it outside of the U.S. system, or will the world see El Salvador wrecked because U.S. markets control this? Well, we have to watch. And they it can play all the games they play with all the other U.S. markets. I mean, we, listen, we gotta watch listen there's there's already a significant amount of Bitcoin in U.S. public markets. I mean, if you if you think that micro strategy, this Bitcoin hoard is somehow any less seizable or capturable or controllable than BlackRock's, you're just no, it's, it's very fundamentally different. First of all, Sailor is clearly a fucking spook. Um, second of all, that's just a treasure hoard sitting cold somewhere. It's not actively traded on a market. It's not contributing volume to the pricing of Bitcoin. Something like an ETF or a traded trust is. They are very, very different in that regards in terms of their nature. My, my point here is that it's a honeypot and it can be raided anytime. Personally, um, I don't think Sailor's a spook, but we can disagree on that. I, uh, you know, it could be a honeypot, but my point is that this is always. You should look where all happen. of the micro strategy headquarters <laughs> are uh, 20 minutes away from whatever fucking intelligence service is uh, housed <laughs> in that nation. We, yeah, we don't have to go there. But I, you know, if, if Bitcoin as a system, can't even like survive one BlackRock ETF, then, you know, this is a test. We and are that system. Happen, then it's like nothing we can we do. We are that it. system collectively. So yes, there right. are There's things we can we do can about it. It's that de-personification de of Bitcoin as some objective inanimate thing that creates that nihilistic passive observer attitude. That system is made up collectively of us. There are yeah. many things we can do. And well, people sure should not heard. look at it in that objective and partial way that disconnects themselves from it, because that's not how that works. Yeah. But are you not I encouraged by some of the things there, in terms of uh, multi-institutional yeah. custody schemes with Miniscript? You know, we can build more sophisticated custody schemes with those technologies that are actually more secure for these institutions, if we build better products, then they're then we need to do it. They have an overall duty to always act in the best interest of the plan participants. And so we can actually build better multi-institutional custody schemes using things like Miniscript. You know, that could be a way for them to have to adopt those things. You said they won't choose it, but if they're going to take on that centralization risk on behalf of those plans, then they have a fiduciary duty to provide the best, most secure custody solutions so it's up to us to build those and i and i've been encouraged by some of the things that i've been seeing um you know with the use of miniscript and shinobi you know a lot more about that stuff than i do but um you know i'm, I'm a little bit optimistic right now about the progression of custody and what i've been seeing um just this year so i agree well, with I, think, I think I that's agree. the whole point you know like i really agree with shinobi on this like you like we can't sit back and view bitcoin as this like neutral independent thing that just exists and progresses like separate from our actions and activities and engagement and so like yeah like could could we build some things that change the you know that that change the course of this trajectory well i think that's the whole point that's what that's what it is to not be just like neutral here not that i think you're advocating for that sam or 
really that anyone else is, but it's, but it's a, it's a tendency and, you know, it's like, we are the way that that doesn't happen. And so I think he makes a really good point there. It seems like Shinobi, you know, when you made that desert comment, the boss, I mean, that's the kind of the conversation right now is, um, you know, this might be great for number go up and like short term price action, but does it prevent long term consequences that aren't good for the health of the network? And that seems to be at the heart of this entire conversation. Um, it's this like low time preference thinking to building out Bitcoin um, versus like cheerleading every single event that could have a number go up, but maybe it has adverse consequences to the long-term health of, of well and th that that was that was the point that hodl brought up yesterday with the simply bitcoin spaces was like putting these products together and then allowing price to go to a point where people didn't like normies wouldn't have ever imagined as far as bitcoin price action and then just trapping it into a range and like squeezing people out of it like people need to consider of like all these different attack vectors yeah, what I was saying yesterday was there's a version like my bear case for Bitcoin is that Bitcoin's number still goes up to like somewhere between half a million, two million dollars. But that, you know, ultimately it fails and becomes totally co-opted and controlled. That's the bear case. And then the bull case is the hyper Bitcoinized case we all know. Right. A real Bitcoiner should be willing to walk the desert for the next 10 years. I already live in the desert, so you want to meet me out here? Or? Dude, How do you my know people I'm were not in the desert already? for 40 fucking <laughs> years, Shinobi. 10 years is nothing. I have to go, guys. Nice talk. I'm going to leave you with uh, this. I hope everybody burst that fucking podcast bubble a little bit, especially when news like this comes around burst that bubble and start asking again from scratch everything because that fucking narrative we have here especially on twitter makes mistake they're like it's gonna, they're gonna make us make mistakes because especially in the case of blackrock now like i know i'm cynical i'm from the fucking balkans yeah yeah bitcoin's hope i get it but those fucking guys have trillions so Cheers. Goodbye, Malaka. Malaka. I, I, shout out to Drew, but he just, you know, sent me an interesting tidbit. Um, BlackRock's ETF approval rate with the SEC is 575 approved and only one denied uh, in 2014. Yeah, by the way, the one that was denied was not denied specifically to BlackRock, but the entire class of ETF in general was denied. What was ETF? What was the class? Uh, they were non-transparent ETFs that were not, uh, they didn't have to disclose their market activity for like many months after the fact, and the SEC rejected the entire class of ETFs. Gee, I wonder why. Smells like private equity or hedge funds. Cool. BlackRock Bitcoin ETF now with yield. Oh God, that's coming. Maybe not from BlackRock, but so risk-free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So to Shinobi's point, um, I'm going through the S1. I don't know if anyone else is 
dug through it, especially lawyers. Uh, but a couple things that make me pause, because look, Black on the one hand, BlackRock is extremely credible. They are the Apple of finance. Like they're, they're almost like JP Morgan, in some ways more trusted and less hated because people understand it uh, less well in mainstream media. They're not getting their loans rejected by JP Morgan Chase or whatever. But and overdraft fees at Chase. But um, so on the one hand, I get what Foss is saying, but I think Shinobi, um, the S1 raises some concerns for me because they're talking about how they're mostly going to invest in Bitcoin. They have some Bitcoin for trading and the rest is in cold storage and stuff like that. So I'm trying to go through like what they are legally allowed to do. They're very smart. They're using the law firms we used to use when we were at uh, when I was at Merrill Lynch and institutional uh, supporting institutional working with institutional sales people and traders on the trading floor, but also in the legal department. So they're using some of the best lawyers. They're really really smart. They're highly credible. It looks like this is the least worst paper Bitcoin. So paper Bitcoin all sucks. We agree with that. Self custody is the way. I agree with Hoddle, baby steps. But anyway, in terms of um, Paper Bitcoin. This could. Wait, be I missed that. Was that about me? Ways. Fuck you, Terrence. No, it's Terrence, nothing <laughs> matters except the ability to arbitrarily decide forks. That's all that matters, and they reserve that right. And that's why these okay, types but, of things are dangerous. Yes. So they're giving themselves discretion to control. Uh, Did anyone else lose them? Yeah. Nah, the the un the universe made him shut up. <laughs> I I, I do read. think that Shinobi is keying on something that you know the I was thinking about you know a lot of uh, digital ink has been spilled about Bitcoin's cultural wars, and the only reason it ever matters is because people who have sort of you know the the dominant group in Bitcoin uh, can sort of you know shift consensus or you know, like Shinobi saying, arbitrarily pick forks. And so that's, I mean, that's with economic, mighty economic power, the ability to arbitrarily pick forks. But like, that's why Bitcoin culture matters is because we're still pre-ossification. And when you're still pre-ossification, the window for change is open. And when the window for change is open, the dominant group has the ability to change things. And so it matters, you know. It's not even that. It's they will cause ossification. Like there are still many things that we need to add to Bitcoin if you really want this to scale Agreed. in a self-custodial way. And what do you think will happen if BlackRock's ETF is approved and then Chase and then all, all these other fucking banks and they dominate the pricing mechanism, the market, and then we want to add something that makes them less needed, that cuts into their market, their revenue. They won't do it. Well, I think know. we should operate on And they'll that. invent they'll invent every magical, rational sounding reason in the world about risks and safety and we, we could break Bitcoin and they'll stop it. We should uh, in my opinion operate under the assumption that this is going to be approved. Right. And and even if it's yeah. not, we, we don't have any say over whether it is or not. Well, then guess what? It's time for the retarded amongst us to shut the fuck up and learn. And maybe we should turn CTV on. 
Maybe we should start looking at any prev out. Maybe we should actually get these things fucking done while there's time to do it. Yeah, I think the big problem is like, look at Taproot. It was like everybody was pro Taproot. And then, like, you know, people started doing monkey pictures. And then they were like, wait a second, I didn't agree to this. And it's like, what are you talking about? I thought you were, you were pro, you were, you were championing this. That was speedy trial. Yeah. You don't need Taproot yeah. to do ordinals. Like, it's see, see how easy it is. But see how easy it is to cause dissent, to cause chaos, to create doubt. And now yeah. imagine all of that money behind that and the stagnation that causes and the doors that get closed and the options we're left with which is blackrock and jp morgan yeah wait wait until there's a blackrock funded netflix documentary that uh is the antithesis of your entire bitcoin worldview but it's pro bitcoin on its face you know what i mean that's sort of the future that shinobi's outlining i, I was told this was a ordinal and inscription space and how Bitcoin has been broken. Gulag. Is this not? Oh, hey, I got. Listen, I I got a DM. Someone brought it up I, about half an hour ago. I don't know what the hell Hoddle was talking about. It's he says uh, Trace Meyer brought Hoddle's point up more than five years ago. I don't even know what points those were, Hoddle. But I just wanted to bring up Trace Meyer. Yeah, dude, all soul. Michael Saylor does is just regurgitate shit Trace said like ten years ago. Like he's, he, he's Trace, just a Trace Meyer. But yeah, Trace Mayer and Caitlin Long were the first to call attention in space that I remember to uh, rehypothecation, the dangers and the evils of rehypothecations, and certainly Caitlin is still one of the loudest voices about that. Oh, and Trace, how the mighty have fallen. (laughs) Don't forget Mimble Mimble Wimble, baby. Mimble Wimble for the win. Running grin. I think the next war is the ossification wars. That's where a lot of the debate's going to go. It's going to be two sides to that. And I see. I think it's NGU versus privacy, which sort of precludes the ossification war. Well, this has been a great conversation, guys. Um, really dug into this and heard a lot of different perspectives. So I appreciate everyone coming up and talking and sharing their knowledge and opinions on this. Um, I think it helped a lot of listeners who are digging into this topic. So um, we got basically, we're basically out of time. So I was going to go around for uh, last comments, but we're out of time. Uh, so thanks everybody for uh, speaking. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, I wanted to end with a little quote from Larry Fink uh, in 2018, where he talked about Bitcoin. He said, so you're not going to get into Bitcoin? He was asked by an interviewer. He said, Larry Fink, it's going to fail. It's illegal. Bitcoin is just an example of doing something outside the system. But when the government says that you need to follow the same rules in Bitcoin and like everyone else, it's going to fail. It's going to zero. The reason it has so much value today is that you're using it to do something illegal. And five years later, his company is applying for a Bitcoin ETF. Um, and so we will see how this develops. Uh, this is Cafe Bitcoin. This is the number one place for Bitcoin news and discussions every weekday morning. This is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Uh, go to swan.com, check out our products and services, as well as our educational research resources, as well as go to pacificbitcoin.com. We're going to a conference on October 5th and 6th out in beautiful Santa Monica. Um, it's never been more important to get in person with other Bitcoiners and just have a good time. Um, so go check out pacificbitcoin.com. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful weekend, guys. Uh, it's been a real pleasure today. Thank you.